Welcome, welcome. If you are uh, here from Rush, our middle school or high school ministry, make a little bit of noise. And if you are not, uh, make a little bit of noise. It is amazing to have you here with us. We are excited to be here. We normally meet upstairs uh, on the other side of the building, uh, and we do it kind of family style, and we are excited to be with our bigger church family. You guys know we are in this series as a church body called We Are. We Are. Oh, we are family, and so we're taking every Sunday and taking a part of our name. We talked about Bethel, and then we're going to talk about the world, and then we're going to talk about our emphasis on outreach. And then lastly, just come home to our church and its identity. And we're taking each Wednesday night to take a, a facet of our church. And tonight, uh, I want to introduce you to our evening, is that we are a multi-generational family. That we're not just a family. Uh, I love that uh, our, our church, so the three things you see everywhere are devotion, diversity, discipleship. I love that we don't just view diversity as black and white or, or uh, ethnic diversity, but we also view it as uh, we are here for all people, all nations, and all generations. And so uh, it is uh, amazing to be here. We're going to pray for teachers in a little bit. I'm excited about that. But before we do that, I want to just talk a little bit uh, about, uh, I think, what our heart as a church is and should be for the next generation. What I truly believe Jesus' heart for the next generation is so that we can send out uh, these teachers that we're going to be praying for, so we can pray for our students that are in the room, and so that we together can steward well the generation that God God has given us. So let's pray before we hop in to the word. Jesus, we need you now. Lord, without you, we can do nothing, but with you, we can do anything. So God, I pray that you would be here as we uh, inspect your word. God, as we uh, excavate what you have to say to us tonight, Lord, would you help me be clear in pursuing, God, in, in uh, Lord, announcing your word uh, to us as a church family. We thank you that you're here, you're living, you're active, and you're speaking. And it's in your son's name that we pray, the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, someone look at your neighbor and say, hey, are you ready? Say, hey, are you ready? Because this is about to be good. There's like one in ten people that said that last part. I appreciate your faith in me. Uh, I just also want you to know if you are 18 and below and you are here, I do expect just a couple extra amens, a couple like, that's my pastor, you know, some of that stuff. I do want to say uh, we're going to be kind of hopping around in different parts of Scripture tonight. If you are looking for the deepest exegetical study of Hebrew words and Greek and uh, Pig Latin, all of that, uh, it is not uh, going to be tonight. You can go join BSD. You can join BLI, all of that. But tonight, I just want to look at the heartbeat of the gospel for the next generation. So we're going to be hopping out uh, a little here and there. Trust me, this is all in the Bible. If there's everything, it's like, man, he hasn't talked about the Bible in a minute. It's all in the Bible. Trust me there. Second thing, um, if you haven't noticed, I am a youth pastor. My energy level is a little bit higher than the next person. I'm, I'm going to work on talking a little bit slower, but there's a lot of good stuff I think God wants to say tonight. And so 
if, if we're going a little fast, remember, you're pretty much at a youth service right now, so let's do this thing. I'm going to talk about three things tonight. One, I think in order to see what God has for us in the next generation, first we need to look at today. We need to look at uh, where we are uh, societally and just as a church and as a culture. But then we're going to look at today and then we're going to look at yesterday. And we're going to look at where we've come from. And with those together, I truly believe that we can look at tomorrow. So we're talking about building multi-generationally. It's kind of a big deal. And so I want to start off by telling you just a little story uh, about a, a pretty famous building. Everybody is probably familiar with the, uh, the Notre Dame Cathedral. Anybody? Yeah? So it was big in the news, you know, uh, a few months ago, a tragic fire. Uh, Rachel and I, my wife, uh, we were able to actually go there last year, about a year ago now, and we got to visit this architectural beauty. I mean, and when you get in there, it is stunning. You can see uh, just in, in some of these photos that she took while we were there, I mean, it is awe-inspiring. And you look, and uh, almost all of uh, the photos she took were actually uh, this way because it's so tall and it is so majestic that when you're standing outside, you can't help but look up and say, wow, God did something incredible here. The building was uh, started construction in 1163, so a long, long time ago, and the two master builders were actually, uh, they remain anonymous to today. These uh, two master builders, they know who commissioned it, but the two people that uh, were starting uh, this team remain anonymous. It took over 1,000 masons, carpenters, metalsmiths, and builders to finish this project that uh, equated to the modern-day equivalent of $100 million to do this. The whole project that started in 1163 took 182 years to be completed. It took 182 years from uh, when Mr. Anonymous looked at the other Mr. Anonymous and said, hey, I think that we can actually do this. From the beginning, they knew that they would have to pass it off in order for the cathedral to be what it needed to be. They knew that they were not going to be the crew that saw it at its final completion, but that didn't stop them from building anyway. And I think that's how God is calling us to build as a church, as Bethel World Outreach Church, but as the church as a whole. I think that God's calling us to build that way. But in order to build, I think we first need to look at the terrain that we're building on. You know, before we built this building as a church, uh, the first thing that we did when we only existed, uh, you know, a, a few yards that way is we came and we excavated, right? We looked at you know, what's the incline of, of this? What, is it rocky or is it uh, muddy? Is there clay and whatnot? And it's important that before we talk about or look at what we're building now as a ministry for the next generation, that we look at the terrain we're building it for because the right building in the wrong place is the wrong building. Right, And so we can't be building something for us when we need to be reaching somebody else. And so uh, I, it makes me think about this story where uh, we kind of find ourselves 
trying to build in, in a situation not quite like maybe we understand. And there was these people, the Israelites, and this, is, this happened in 600 B.C., that the Israelites, they were conquered and taken from Jerusalem. And so just so we're all on the same page, the Israelites, the people of God, serving God, uh, they had this, this society, uh, Jerusalem in Judah. And so they're there. And where you're in Jerusalem, it's stinking easy to follow God. Like, I mean, they create this society around God. This whole thing helps us. There's the temple in the middle of everything. Everybody you hang out is serving God. Everyone you're around is serving God. And so it creates or it has this place where, I mean, it's like Chick-fil-A on every corner. Like, it is, it is just like, you know, if it was in our context, it is like slam dunk every time. But what happened is these guys, the Babylonians, came and they uh, kind of did a, a little something. They got sent to Babylon to be in a brand new environment that didn't serve the God of Israel. There was no church, no small groups, no nothing. And they had to say, what does faith look like in a culture that I'm not familiar with and is even maybe a little bit uncomfortable for me. And I think that when we look at uh, the, the United States of America where we're uh, located now, traditionally being a, a nation that was founded on biblical principles and was predominantly Christian, I think that we might, as, as a society who's declared itself as a post-Christian nation now, be kidding ourselves if we think we're in Jerusalem, I think that we might actually be needing to figure out what faith looks like in Babylon. That we actually might need to be asking ourselves uh, some questions, not so much uh, like, uh, how, how do we get back to Jerusalem as much as God, why did you call me to Babylon? Now, uh, let's get into this story. In Daniel 1, verse 1, it says this, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, there you go, that's for free, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Let's stop. Let's pause. So you're telling me the Israelites had a really good thing going on. They had this situation that was prime time for them to be uh, God followers. This is before Jesus, but they're serving God. They had everything they needed to be. And these guys are about to take them into a situation that is not conducive for their faith. But we have to reconcile. It says this, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. It doesn't say, you know, uh, Nebuchadnezzar came and said, hey, God, sorry, gotcha. It, it doesn't say that he came and snatched him from the Lord's hand. It says, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand. So we need to reconcile that it was actually God that sent them to Babylon. And so we find ourselves in this digital Babylon that we currently exist in. And we say, Man, they, they stopped praying in schools. Oh, gosh. What, you know, what happened? Je Jesus must be taking a day off. 
oh man, uh, there's, there's not godly shows on TV anymore. What Jesus must just be fixing some other problem. Or, oh man, uh, my, my kid isn't acting like uh, I wish they would. Or my classmate isn't acting like I wish they should. Man, I don't live in a godly environment. God must be losing right now. But the good news is this. I'm not, just give me one second. Here we go. So uh, when we look at America right now, in 1999, which was 20 years ago, 68% of American adults were church members at a Christian church. 68%. Here we are in 2019, and we are officially under 50%. Now, in 1999, 8% of Americans had no religious affiliation. They marked none or other, and we currently sit at 18% of people who said, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not anything. So we had this Jerusalem that we lived in, and we're in Babylon now, but I want to tell you two stories about what happened in Babylon. There's these four guys. There's Daniel. There's Shadrach, there's Meshach, and Abednego. Or if you watch VeggieTales, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Benny. It's, it's, hey, watch it. That's, that's for real right there. That's how I learned half the Bible is there's probably some stuff I got to go exegete um, if that's the case. But uh, there's four uh, people. So they, they were Jews that lived in Babylon, and they said, I'm not going to live the way that you want me to live. I'm actually going to live for God in a society that doesn't. Here's two cool things that happen. One, Shadrach, Meshach, and Benny, uh, they're currently, you know, in a situation, and they're uh, praising God, and King Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, hey, hey no, you're going to praise my God. They said, uh, heck no, haters going to hate. And they keep on praising uh, the God of Israel. And they say, okay, this is not going to go well for you. They throw him into a flaming furnace. Things are looking pretty dark for a second. They Nice. That's a little extra freebie for you. We're in the furnace. All of that. But who we know from the story, and we're just going to kind of keep on trucking, that even though three guys went in, the king looked and said, hey, I, I, didn't we send three because I think there's four. God had sent an angelic being, a divine being. When the situation was dire, God actually said, actually, he's divine. And they, uh, they came out and not just were unburned. They didn't even smell like smoke. Situation number one. Situation number two, Daniel, their friend, similar thing. They say, hey, no one can pray to anybody but our nation's God and Daniel said, man, I'm sorry. I'm going to do my thing. So he was, he was there, windows open, and they came and said, dude, you know what has to happen. So they take him, throw him in a lion's den, a lion's den. There are lions in the den. And the next morning, the king comes down. He's like, man, man, this really, I, I feel really, really bad. He's probably a goner. They open it up. He's like, what's up? I don't know about you, there's story after story in the book of Daniel about uh, the Jews in Babylon. And I think that this tells us wherever we are as a, a nation, as a culture, God is still God in Babylon. Just because there's not the Christian TV show or there's not the Christian theme, uh, just because somebody doesn't want to stand or go to church or whatever it is societally, 
that doesn't mean that God's not God. And it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't on the throne. We need to remember that even though it was the Babylonians that came, it was God that gave. It was God that said, you know what, actually I have a bigger plan, I have a bigger picture, and even though it seems like things are dire, they're actually divine. Things that looked tragic are actually my trajectory to see the world come to me. That guys, we're actually not in a situation where Jesus is losing, we're in a situation that Jesus is confident and in charge and is willing to put us in a situation to make a change in the world. Guys, this is good news that God is still God in Babylon. Just like he sent his people to Babylon, God is sending us to the world today. Could it be, just go with me here, could it be that the young people in our church, in our community, are actually not the problem but the solution? That actually, I, I believe that as much as we would love to, to blame young people for the things that are wrong with today, even though, let's be honest, they don't have that much control over the media and over things right now, as much as we'd love to blame young people for this, I actually believe, just like Esther, that God has called them for such a time as this, that he's actually raised them up in a society to condition them to make a change in our nation and in our world, I believe that young people can change the world. That's why I love what I do. That's why I get up every day and I say, man, I have the best job ever. I mean, I'm sure your job is great. It's super cool, I bet. But it's the best job ever is being a youth pastor. I'll tell you why in a second. But I, so we see where life is today, but I think that we have this problem, right? We have uh, the, the young people over here and we have the old people over here. And the young people have said, well, the old people don't understand me. And the old people have said, well, they're just doing it wrong. And so let's look at uh, what Paul says to a, a church that's in a similar position, this divided thing. So we talked about uh, today. Now we're just gonna kind of look at uh, how we might be able to work together. I need two volunteers. Um, one of them needs to be under 22. If you're under 22, I need a volunteer who's under 22. Amazing. I'm gonna go uh, second row back right there with the Nike uh, headband, thank you. And I need um, somebody who is over 38 and is just, is just like proud, is like just cool with it. It's like, hey, and it's okay, we'll just tell everyone you're 39. Doesn't matter what, all right, come on, man. So you guys can please come up and join me while I read this passage in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul explains this. He says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not be, I'm sorry, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? 
If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And I think what the problem is that we find so often is that we're all looking at the other team and saying, no, 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 you're the weak one. So uh, let's look at that. We're going to do, now we are completely, you guys can come uh, into the middle here. And you can stand over there, sir, and you can stand over here. We're going to totally make some generalizations right now, okay? So not talking about you, not talking about you. Uh, And so, but in general, we're going to talk about people who are under 22, which are called Gen Z, Generation Z. And we're going to talk about people who are over 38. You're probably 38 and a half. And so 38 and above, which is Gen X uh, and uh, older. So in general, who... Who do you think is better with technology? Okay, boom, one point for Gen Z. There you go. This is this is nice. This is fun. Um, who do you think has more money? Okay, there you go. You got that one. You're like, keep your technology, man. Uh, who do you think probably has more wisdom? No offense. It's okay. It's okay. This one's going to go over here. You got wisdom. Um, Who do you think has more passion and energy? Okay, a little little mix. I'm going to go with the majority that says over here. Again, generalizing. Who do you think is probably uh, more aware of the culture? Yeah, I'm going to give that to you. Okay. Ten points for Gryffindor. Uh, Who... With money, wisdom, and status, who, uh, who do you think has more influence right now, right this second? Who has more influence on the world today, right now? You, she said, I have Instagram. Okay, so maybe, maybe there's this. If there's, <laughs> he just said, I have a bank account. Um, okay, so we'll give you that one. But who has more future influence? Because, I mean, if we're keeping generalizations, right, you probably don't have employees working for you, right? You, you probably, you might not lead a family. So we're just going to say current influence, we'll give it that one, future influence there. Now, if I was over here and I said, well, I got all this, uh, I'm only, I'm counting my four, my, my five. Yeah, he's weaker at all this stuff. He's the weaker vessel, right? Because all that matters is, like you said, my Instagram. No, but, but really, you can look at all these things, which are valid things. Passion and energy, valid. Future influence, valid. And you can say, when it comes to this, he's weaker. And he can come over here and say, well, I got money. I got wisdom. I got influence. When it comes to these things, now she ain't got nothing on me. 
And as long as we're only evaluating things based on what we have and what we value, the other person's always going to be weaker. But what if I told you that the answer to your problem might be sitting in the room that actually, because if you have the wisdom and passion, when Jesus changes your life and you have the passion to go on a missions trip, missions trips cost money, right? And you have, uh, right, you have uh, these amazing ideas. These, and it's not just like a, a bright idea, this could be fun, like this could change the world, but you have influence, so you probably have a full-time job or full-time commitments to uh, family or, or whatever it might be, so you might not have the time and energy and the passion to actually fill them out. You might not actually get three months off every summer. That would be great if you did. But there are people in the room that God has ordained to have three months every summer to do something for Jesus. So as long as we're looking at the other side, the other team, and gauging them based on the values that we have for ourselves and what we hold in our little pocket here with our future influence, our following on Instagram, our, all of this stuff, I'm, I'm more aware of the culture, all of this, as long as we're only looking at this, the other person is going to be weaker. But Paul encourages us in saying the things that seem weaker are actually indispensable for you. You need what the other person has. Thank you guys so much. You can keep that. That's for free. Yeah. Here's even another money one. More money. More money, more problems. So what if we perceive, what if what we perceive as weakness was actually the pointer to their strength. What was if it was actually the thing that we perceive as weak was actually the answer to our problem. The ones that we view as weak, the Bible says, are indispensable. And it's not just what we have, but just the more that I get to spend time with our awesome students and the more that I get to spend time with uh, people my age, um, the more I get to spend time with people who are maybe parents or, or more experienced in life, I've actually figured out and kind of thought, I, sorry, that made it sound like this was my bright idea. It's not, uh, just so that's clear. But we actually view life um, completely different. It's not just what you have, uh, but it's actually how we see the world. And so in doing just a little bit of studying, um, there's, so like I said, Gen X and below, uh, above is 38 and up. And then uh, we're going to take Gen Y, which is also uh, affectionately called millennials and uh, go down. So first let's look at how Gen X and above viewed life uh, or views life rather. So uh, we have a slide right here that looks like this. And so uh, in general, looks like a picture of me. Um, but in general, anyway, I, we can just, yeah, there we go. So uh, here we go. It, it, it pretty much comes down to four main things. And life is made up of more than four, but we couldn't fit 800 billion things onto a square or on a line. So we'll just go with four. Um, so everyone is born. That's the, the green one. And then uh, in the middle of their life, they have some sort of coming of age experience. So for some people, maybe they view it as college or marriage or they had their first kid or they went into the work 
workforce, um, but in, in general, it's, it's limited to one or two or three or four things like that. So they have their, their thing, and then uh, they find whether it's their career or, or a commitment, like being at, at home, which is 1,000% a real job, 1,000% valid. Uh, whatever it is, they find their commitment, and they stay there until they retire, then they retire, and they die. It's not, it's not, no dog on that. I am not, no harshness, no hating. I'm just saying. Uh, and so our society sort of decided um, in that generation and prior that you are successful when your life looks like this. That your success is based on your ability to conform to the way of the herd. And so when life was going poorly, it was because it didn't look like this. And so the objective was to get as close to this as possible. If you don't have a job, it's just because you're, you're not on track, so you got to go find a job. If you, you know, you're still living with mom and dad, well, you, you got to go to college and do whatever so you can get back on track because that's how life works, right? It, can, can I just get a thumbs up? You don't even need to give an amen. Okay, just so I know you're still listening. But now, it, what happened is somehow um, the last... You know, 30 years or so, life started to look a little bit differently for people. There's the birth of the internet, and all of a sudden, everything was a little bit more connected than it was for people that lived in this world. And now, they view life not so much as a linear line that starts here and ends there, but life looks a little bit more like this. So there is, you know, everyone still is born and everyone still dies, uh, the coming of age moment could really happen at any time, at any moment. For some people, maybe it's getting married. For some people, maybe it's moving out of the house. For some people, it's your first child. For some people, it's a committed relationship. Whatever it, it might be, it looks different for everybody. And then some people uh, retire early because they made a lot of money. Some people retire at a regular time. Some people uh, never retire because they find passion in what they do. But somehow when the world got more connected, uh, it turned a little bit less about let's get back on the path that everyone should be on and more about, hey, let's choose your own path. Let's just, let's just uh, figure it out your way. You know, uh, the famous Burger King uh, slogan, have it your way. Or like you're reading a book uh, where you might view, if you're in one of the older uh, generations, uh, more experienced generations, I'm sorry, uh, that you start from the beginning and you go to the end. Where, meanwhile, people who are currently 35 and below or so, uh, they're living a choose-your-own-adventure novel where you get to page 30 and it says, if you want to do this, go to page 40. If you want to do this, go to page 31. And so we're not just viewing a generation that has money and that doesn't have money. We're viewing a generation that looks at life completely different. And I think the tendency, just let me ruffle some feathers real quick. The tendency of the linear one is to say, well, you're wrong. And the tendency of the more sporadic connected one is to say, you're boring. Uh, and I think that, again, we're all one big happy family. <laughs> but I think intrinsically, it's just a way we're viewing the same thing. 
Now, uh, you might say, well, you know, the, the gospel is, is this way, and you, once you become a Christian, you get in line, and we all, you know, reach the city to touch the world. And over here, you know, you might say, well, man, maybe you want to do that, and maybe you don't. But I think that there's stuff that God's actually put in each of us that uh, make us more like Jesus. Now, you might say over here, uh, the picture of truth, yes, uh, more uh, in line. The generally Christian value. Yes, maybe more in line. Uh, the knowledge, you know, morals and, and, you know, things that are incredibly important over here. But I think that the people that view life as a little bit more of a web, honestly, are a little better at loving people. They're a little bit better at having understanding and compassion for people that aren't like them. You know that we're currently serving. The next generation is currently the most diverse generation in American history. The, uh, in 2012, uh, I'm sorry, 2016, the kindergarten class that went in was the first kindergarten class in all of American history that uh, white people weren't actually the, the majority, that all of the minorities combined was greater than 50%. And we're in a culture, now I'm not saying we're perfect, but I'm saying if we're looking at this view where, you know, we all have value, we all have something important to bring versus maybe something that our nation uh, saw when life looked a lot like this, where there was one way to do things. You had to look a certain way, dress a certain way, uh, have a certain skin color, make a certain amount of money to be normal, to be right. That over here, there might actually be a little bit more of a revelation that, hey, we all have value. Over here. Here, there might be a little bit more of a revelation or an understanding or a, a priming to find out that God has an individual plan for my life versus just a corporate plan. Now, I'm not saying that either way is right or is wrong, but I think that I, it would be a, a shame for us to come away from here and say, all the young people that view like, like this, you're wrong and you got to get over here. Because I think that God actually has the ability to redeem both. And that even though there might be less church members, I don't know if I'd say there's less Christians. It's just not cool to be Christian anymore. Like, oh, when it was what we do, when this was what was popular, this is if you don't go to church on Sunday, you're a bad person. If you don't, uh, you know, give to your church, you're a bad person. Societally. And I'm not talking about faith-wise. I'm talking about as a society, this is what we do. Uh, I would say that the people who just did it because it was cool, as soon as it became not cool, that 20% said, oh, I'll check this box now. Because God is still God in Babylon. That God is still God where it seems like people are checking the box you don't want them to check. I think that God uh, is actually saying, hey, let's, let's stop you know, worrying about checking boxes and worrying about taking uh, campuses. Let's stop worrying about uh, who's checking what boxes and start worrying about preaching the gospel. Let's stop worrying if I'm on the throne or not uh, and start uh, preaching the gospel, start making disciples. I think that God actually has a plan for Babylon. Otherwise, he wouldn't have given it into their hands. The gospel says in this convoluted, convoluted digital world that there's something real and authentic and good. And I think that young people are done being entertained into the kingdom of God. 
that there's an authenticity here and a realness here that's available that this choose-your-own-adventure novel might not. Do you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I've just been like reading so much and so excited about my job. Do you know that most, and just statistically, most Generation Z uh, people, uh, most Gen Zers are afraid to grow up? It's not that they want to be treated like adults. They're scared of being adults because when life is this web where it could go any direction, it could go any way, that's scary. But the gospel says in the middle of ambiguity, there's clarity and there's purpose. Church, as we're building multi-generationally, we need to excavate, we need to look at the site in which we plan to build and say, this isn't the gospel of my dad that they need to hear. This isn't the gospel that I need to hear, but this is Jesus Christ who died for the entire world and died for them, and they need to hear what they need to hear. It doesn't change the gospel, but it changes the application. And that when we get on the campus, uh, when we're uh, preaching, the thing that, that we needed to hear, because my problems were different than your problems, uh, young people, then we get it all wrong. But if we're going to change the world, we need each other. We need to look at what we might perceive as weakness and say, no, you're indispensable. Did you know that 64% of people who have accepted Jesus did so before the age of 18? 64% before they were 18. And young people, one out of five of them said it was a friend who led me to the Lord. Parents one out of five of them said, it was my parent who led me to the Lord. Youth leaders, myself included, one out of five of them said, I was led by a youth leader. Two out of five, it was in uh, another uh, circumstance, maybe it was in uh, VBS or it was uh, a relative that wasn't, uh, fan, wasn't um, mom or dad. But we have a responsibility to a generation and there's hope because I don't know, I, five sounds like a lot to me, but I can do one. And I think if you're a parent, you know, it sounds like a lot of work to, to do five, but maybe you can do one. If you're a youth leader, five sounds a lot, but I could do one. Maybe you are none of the above, but you find yourself somewhere in the yellow. Not saying you got to do two, but I could, I could maybe do one. Uh, church, there is a responsibility for us. And ultimately... As we land the plane, I think that we need to prioritize reaching the next generation because Jesus prioritized it. Jesus came to the earth, and with his limited time, his 33 or so years, you know what he did? He found 12 guys ranging probably from the ages of 15 to their early 20s and said, hey, I think we can do something here. If I only have three years of public ministry, I want to spend it investing in this ragamuffin crew of 12 young guys that don't understand what I'm saying, but I think they have a shot at changing the world. I, I mean, I said I had the best job ever. Jesus, he was a youth pastor, y'all. I mean, I'm just saying, like, we got spots if you want to serve. But he said... The way that this is going to work is I'm going to take 
15 to 22, Peter was probably the only one over 20 because he was the only one that the Bible says is married and is the only one uh, that looked like uh, he paid the temple tax, which you had to be over 20. So uh, we'll say Peter is a little over 20, the rest of them uh, in their teenage years. And Jesus said, no, I think that we have something here. Later in Acts uh, they have some of the disciples going up in, in front of uh, the Sanhedrin, in front of uh, the Jewish council. Super scary stuff. They're pretty much saying, hey, stop preaching Jesus. And they say, nuh-uh. That's in the Bible. Nuh-uh. No, they said, I, I can't, I won't. And they say in Acts 4.13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men... They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I don't think that there's an age requirement for changing the world. I think it's the answer to this question. Have you been with Jesus? Because if you have, Jesus is saying there's somebody out there waiting to hear your story. He's looking at five young people, and he's saying, hey, uh, parent, yeah, there's one for you. Hey, uh, yeah, uh, youth student, there's one for you over there. Hey, youth leader, there's, there's one for you over there. Everybody else, there's a few more waiting for you. And he's actually saying, as long as you've been with me, you have what it takes to change the world. He doesn't say is once you hit your 18th birthday. He doesn't say once you can drive. He says as long as you have been with me, you have what it takes to change the world. Sometimes when you take a survey online, you know, it says uh, some questions are required. You know, it has a little asterisk. You can't get past it unless you have the required things. Some things are optional where you, uh, you can or you can't. And too often, I think that churches put youth ministry in the optional category where it's like, you know, first we're going to get our stuff figured out as a church. We're going to pay our bills. We're going to make sure everybody shows up and stuff like that. And then we'll do youth ministry if it's, uh, you know, uh, an option. It's, it's optional. Jesus came to the earth, and he didn't say it was optional. He said, this is the option. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend my time and establish something led by teenagers that can turn the world upside down. Coming back to the Notre Dame, when the project began, the two master builders knew that they were going to die only seeing a construction site. They knew it was going to take longer than they could live, and they knew that when they were dead, it would still just be a construction site. And church, I think our obligation, no matter how old you are, is to have the faith to look at a construction site and see a cathedral. That what we're building is always under construction. And as you look up the Notre Dame, you actually, uh, people describe it not so much as the vision of a master builder as much as an architectural collage of trends through the two centuries that it took and different people's thumbprints and different people's hands. And I think that's a beautiful picture of what our church should be. That we should build knowing that when we die, it's not going to be finished, but it's going to be in good hands. 
that knowing that when we move on from this world, there's going to be more left to do, but that God has it for us. Jesus invested in young people, and he gave us something that we can pass on. And we have people in the room with us that have answered that call and said, Jesus, I want to give my life to young people too. And I want to just take a moment before we depart from this place. We're going to pray for a couple different groups of people. If you're, uh, we're going to start by praying for our teachers. Is that okay? If you're a teacher, an educator uh, from college on uh, down through elementary school or whatever, if you're here, would you please just uh, come, um, stand up and, and come to the front? We would love just to pray for you. I'm going to have Pastor Delvin um, come up, and he's going to do that. Um, and then I'll, I'll lead us in, in who we're going to pray for next. But go ahead and uh, come on down. And just as an act of faith, go ahead and stretch out your hand uh, to these teachers. Let's pray for our teachers here. Lord, I, I just thank you for each of these, Lord, that lay down their life, these men and women, Lord, just the call of God that's on their life to serve the next generation. Lord, I thank you that you have uh, called them for a time such as this. Lord, in the middle of brokenness, in the middle of chaos, in the middle of confusion, Lord, these impressionable minds, Lord, I'm reminded of your word. Lord, you said to, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And then you told the children of Israel to go and impress these commands on their children. And so, Lord, I pray for these, Lord, as they're standing for what's right, standing for, uh, for, for uh, these, these kids, Lord. Some of them can't even stand for themselves, but these, these men and women have said yes to your calling. Lord, to impress, Lord, love into their hearts, to, to impress your commands, your will, and your ways in their lives. And I just pray this year would be a, a year where they would sense your anointing. This would be a year where as they teach, they would sense the presence of God like they never have before, the unique problems, the challenges with the kids that they, they're serving. Lord, I pray for supernatural wisdom, Lord, insight, breakthroughs, even in these young people's souls. And Lord, I just pray that they would be spiritual leaders in every classroom they step in. Lord, every meeting, Lord, with other uh, staff members and every, uh, Lord, faculty, uh, Lord, gathering. God, I pray that you would use their influence to extend your kingdom, Lord, to everyone around them. Lord, I pray that each of their classes would be their students' favorite class. They would say, thank you, Lord, for putting me in her class, in his class, in his presence, in her presence. And, Lord, I thank you for just a unique touch that they're going to have all over the school. Lord, we pray as well for our entire school system, Lord, our public schools, our private schools, our, our home schools, stay-at-home uh, mothers and others that are helping uh, that community. Lord, we're praying, God, that you would anoint every teacher, Lord, to be your mouthpiece, to be your hands, and to be your feet. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 Give it up for our teachers. If you are a student that's either going to college, going to high school, going to middle school, or even if you're here going into elementary school, would you please stand, stand where you're at? We're going to pray because God has called you for such a time as this. God, thank you for these world changers that are in our midst. Lord, we commit as a church to backing them, to standing with them, God, to feeling their pain, Lord, to being a safe place for them, God, for praying for them. Lord, and we commit 
Lord, to being on their team. Lord, I pray that your power, God, just as uh, in Acts 1.8, it says you'll receive power from on high. You'll be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to, to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God, I pray that that same power would rest on these young people. Lord, that they would be your witnesses uh, in their friends, God, in their classmates, God, uh, in their sports teams, God, and to the ends of the earth. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower them this year to have the most fruitful year that they've ever had. God, that this would be a year filled with testimonies of friends that give their life to you. God, this would be a year full of testimonies that teammates, Lord, that uh, come to a Bible study that have never come before. Lord, that agree to come to Rush, to, to come to an ENC meeting. God, thank you that you've called these students for such a time as this, God. That there's no mountain you can't move. God, there's no soul you can't save. God, that you uh, aren't intimidated by their school. But God, you say, sit back. Exodus 14, 14, he says, I'm going to fight your battles. And students, this is a year Jesus is going to fight your battles. So Lord, uh, we choose to be still. God, we choose uh, to have our confidence in the one that is Christ. Father, we turn our eyes to you this school year. We empower these students by the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Lastly, uh, students, you can be seated. If you're a parent, if you're a parent of uh, someone who's going into college, uh, high school, middle school, or elementary school, if you're a parent of any of those people, would you stand up? And uh, we're going to pray for you. Pastor Philip, would you pray? He said, I'm in that category. I need to be prayed for. Monica, could you come and pray? Jesus for these parents God that they lead their children that my parents lead me and my siblings God that these parents are that have your wisdom God that they are able to lead their children going through school asking them if they've had a good day God I know my parents do that every day asking me if I've had a good day and they're always there whenever I need a shoulder to cry on God that I pray that these parents God that they are lifted by your Holy Spirit and that they are there for your children God your younger generation and for their generations to come God and that us children also including me that we love our parents and that us students enjoy having a shoulder to cry on and that we depend on our parents God and that our parents realize that we depend on them, that they are our role models, that we are led by them, that they are led by you, God, and that we praise your name, Jesus, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So uh, would you, you guys can stand as we kind of close um, our time. Thank you for being here uh, as we've just kind of looked at, uh, I believe, God's heart for the next generation. There's three things. If you're like, okay, this is sweet, but what do I do now? There's three things that you can do. Uh, one is you can pray. Say pray. 
There's over 150 public Nashville high schools and, uh, and middle schools. That's not even including private, charter, any of that. 150 public high schools and middle schools. I promise you drive by one of them pretty dang often. Like it's probably at least maybe once a day. I know I drive past several. Whenever you follow uh, or whenever you see one, please, please pray. And it can be as simple as God, let your kingdom come and your will be done on Brentwood High School. God, let your kingdom come, your will be done. I had this idea this morning. This isn't going to be like a, you know, every Saturday, whatever, but I'm going to go on a run this Saturday. You're welcome to join me. I'm going to start here at 8, and we're going to run down uh, past Brentwood Academy, pray for Brentwood Academy, past Brentwood Middle School, pray for Brentwood Middle School, into the parking lot of Brentwood High School, uh, pray, and then do it all the way back, and we're going to pray for our church. Um, and so if you want to come, you're invited. If you don't, that's fine. It's like two miles there, two miles back. We'll run as slow as you want to. The second thing you can do, you can pray. The second thing you can do is give. Say give. Uh, as mentioned earlier, there's one generation that happens to have a little bit of a bigger bank account than the other. Um, and uh, when we give, our heart is going into what we're sowing into. Give to campus missionaries. Give to people who want to spend their entire day reaching college students. Give to camp scholarships. Uh, I promise you, if you ever, you have just a bunch of extra money you don't know what to do with, talk to me. We got plenty of stuff that I can help you find where to put all that extra money. Third thing, serve. Say serve. So you can pray, you can give, and you can serve. Guys, our amazing team in B Kids is raising world changers. There are people, and we have almost 300 young lives that God's trusted us with every Sunday. And after seeing Jesus' heart for the next generation, we can respond by saying, hey, I can do one Sunday a month. I can, I can hold babies. I can, you know, uh, chase around kids that are crawling. Guys, uh, God is changing lives at Rush every week. Every week, God's changing lives in our youth ministry, and there are places that you can get plugged in. God is changing lives in our Every Nation Campus missionaries, uh, missionary uh, world, and you can be a part of that. So please, 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 if God does anything in your heart tonight, consider praying whenever you see a high school, middle school, or college campus. Consider giving if it's on your heart to be a part of it in that way, and consider serving because God wants to use you to impact the next generation for his glory and for our good. Pastor James. Um, if you didn't know, hold on, Bryson. If you didn't notice, if you're a young person, if you're wondering, I wonder if I have a good youth pastor or not. And if you're a parent, you're wondering if, if your kid's in good hands after the preaching of that message, what say you? You know, nobody in this room arrived at where you are without the help of someone else. Someone had to value you from the moment that you were unborn in a womb all the way to the point you are now. Somebody had to place value on your life. I'm reminded in this message that Jesus kind of set it up as the way of the world, how we care for one another. You know, the only real thing a parent gets back 
from a child is just a love and appreciation. They really expect very little more. What we can accomplish together as a church is pretty dynamic. Jesus entrusted us, a multi-generational family, to care for the entire world. And you start with your own home, your own home church, your home home community. You don't get overwhelmed, but you can do it. I'm just so overwhelmed and overjoyed about the future in our church because of hearing this preaching and seeing all you young lives. I want to just um, take the time to honor uh, Pastor Bryson and Rachel for hard work and what they do. Praise God. Zoe, wherever Zoe is, how about giving it up for Zoe? I don't know where she is. For the youth leader team, if you are a youth leader, can we give God praise for the youth leaders and the volunteers? And, and young people, we just like to say to you young people in the room, man, thanks for being in church. Thanks for giving us an opportunity to pour into you. Thanks for giving us an opportunity to preach the Bible when it may seem boring or lead you through a song where you may be distracted. Thanks for just being in the place of God with your youth. You could do a lot of different things with it. Giving time to Jesus is the smartest thing you'll ever do. So I'm going to pray and dismiss us. Or you know what? I feel better when a young person kind of dismisses us. Our Father, <laughs> thank you for letting us all come to church and stuff and be happy. Uh, thank you for putting God in our life because, you know, that makes everything better. And just if anything's wrong, you just talk to God. Um, I'm not stupid. I just can't think. Oh, oh yeah. Thank you so much. Amen. That was good. God bless you. As adults, if you would do me a favor and and please, any young person you, you see as a tradition around here, make sure you stop and say, I'm just proud of you. Just put a hand on them. You don't have to hold them up long. Just say, I'm proud of you. I love you. God bless you. You are dismissed. See you at Empower on Friday. I'll see you at Empower on Friday. Every young person, tell your parent, here at this church, 630, Empower, Empower on Friday. Be at Empower. Where are you going to be? Empower.